The year is 1969. Bell bottoms and long hair and funny cigarettes are all the rage. John Lennon, Yoko Ono released that song all in the backdrop of America being entrenched in the Vietnam War. One of my uncles, one of my mentors, many of your family members, some of you listening, in 1969 were dropping into hell on earth. And America was divided. And some fully supported our involvement and supported our troops and others passionately protested and opposed any involvement. My family tree was a house divided. My uncle Gary, he made it back in one piece. But his mind came back shattered. He came back different, changed. And he didn't share much. My mentor, Phil, him on the other hand, he, he, he found it cathartic to share his stories almost as a way of letting go and processing. One story in particular that he shared with me was about him becoming a new Christian and, and just starting to really dig into what it meant, you know, to follow Jesus and Jesus' teachings and then life turned on a dime. One minute he's holding a Bible, and the next he's holding an M60 in the middle of a jungle fighting for his life. And he shared with me that one day while they were out on patrol, a young Vietnamese boy started walking towards their platoon. And the boy's body was strapped with explosives and tears running down the boy's face. And Phil made a decision in that moment to protect his family, his friends, the men that he had been called to lead. And he shared with me the torture his mind went through in the years to come. Trying to reconcile Jesus' teachings of being a peacemaker, loving your neighbor, and the tension of doing what he had to do to survive in the midst of war. Unfortunately, this story is not unique. Men and women throughout history in wars, foreign and domestic, put in hellacious, compromising situations. I have never had to experience the hell of war. Many of those all around me and close to me have, but I have not. And so to all of you who have served and are serving, I say thank you.
You know, as, as I've talked to family and friends who have served, and, and specifically those that follow Jesus, there, there's a reoccurring question that, that comes up of, 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 what do I do with Jesus? Maybe a step past that is, is, is how do I reconcile the life that Jesus is asking me to live in tension with the life that I've already left? And this isn't just for men and women who have served. This is for all of us. Every single one of us. There's a tension. A tension within all of us that is very real and sometimes very painful. The tension of how do I reconcile my past life, my past struggles, my past decisions, even our current Struggles, our daily decisions. How do we reconcile that with the life that we've been called to live as a Christ follower? And I wish that I had all the answers for you, but I don't. I believe Jesus does. I don't. I believe Jesus actually does some of his best work, though, in that tension. I believe that his grace is greater than our disgrace, right? No matter what that disgrace is, that his grace is greater than our disgrace. I don't have all the answers, but I do know this. I do know that regardless of the tension that you may feel or the baggage that you may have, the baggage that you may have brought through the doors this morning, that you're carrying with you, the baggage that says that you're unlovable, that there's something in you that separates you. There's no way that God could love you because of these decisions you made. Our God, our Father says that you are loved. Before you had it all together that he died for you and said you are chosen. He said that he will never leave you or you or you. He will never leave you or abandon you. He says that if you come to me, I will give you a real rest. I will show you and teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. He says there is nothing that can separate you from his love. That his invitation to salvation is not based on a life of good decisions. It is based on choosing to accept this gift of grace that we cannot earn. A gift that is freely given, but was bought and paid for with the ultimate sacrifice. And so I'm just going to ask you right now, right up front, have you accepted this gift of grace? Have you accepted this gift of salvation? See, my relationship with Christ is the only thing that I have found that will actually bring satisfaction to my soul and purpose to my life. And listen, if you're on the fence with this whole Jesus faith thing, first let me say I'm so glad you're here, whether it's in the room or online. Like, I'm so glad you're here. This right here, all of this, everything that we do here at Whitewater, this is not a place for people who have it all together. 
This is not what this place is at all. This is a place for broken people to come together and to worship and to figure out life together and watch a perfect God make our broken pieces fit together with him and for him and for his glory that he makes all of our brokenness beautiful. And, and then this whole year, right? These last three months, all of us broken people, we've been hanging out together. And we've been figuring this whole thing out. What does life look like with all the cards on the table after all we've been through and where we're going and Jesus, oh man, help us. Oh, God, help us. And so we decided we're going to go look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and we're just going to dig into the words of Jesus and week by week and verse by verse, we're just looking at Jesus' words and saying, just teach us, guide us, heal us trying to figure out what it means to, to live a life on mission for his kingdom. And, and Nick referenced it earlier, like, like God's up to something. Like, I don't know if you feel that. I don't know. I believe your eyes are open. You're seeing this. The week after week, not just on Sundays. This, what we do here is not about Sunday. It's about Monday. The stories of life transformation, of people breaking through their challenges and addictions, their marriages being restored, lives being transformed. That's what he's been up to. He's up to something all in the midst of like us, like working up, trying to get to our Super Bowl, right? Like we may not have the Buckeyes in a bracket, but we've got our Super Bowl coming, right? We've got Easter. May not have the Buckeyes, but we have Easter. You know Easter's coming, right, in like two weeks, right? Two weeks. Have you registered? Man, I hope you have. We're offering three services, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. If you haven't registered, listen, I know that 10 o'clock spot, man, that's the prime spot, right? Ain't got to get up too early. It's not infringing on your lunch plans. Too late. Sold out. Booked. Full. And I love that. I love that. Like, yeah, it's full. Sorry. Not sorry. But register. Go online. You can do it right now. This is the only time I would say get on your phone right now. All right? It's the only time. Register for the 8.30 or 11.30. All right? Here's my caveat. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but at all of our Easter services, there's going to be people getting baptized. Okay? People going all in. And going all in with their faith and they're saying, I'm going to do that on Easter Sunday. That when he came out of the grave, my life, my sin stayed in that tomb. I'm, I'm going into new life. So if you've been thinking about baptism, that's your day. And if you want to be baptized at the 10 o'clock service, we can make something happen. <laughs> we can make something happen. Listen, if we got to do four services, we'll do four services. All right? I, I want, listen... There's something cooking. Nick and the team, I've been hearing little things, what they're doing and what they're planning. It's going to be something. You got David and I, we're going to tag team the teaching. You know that's always a powerful mess worth watching, right? It's like Abbott and Costello, Dean and Jerry. Like we're cooking. People being baptized. This is at... That, that feeling of you don't want to miss this. You need to invite your family, your friends. It, like, you're going you're gonna to want to be there in that moment when. 
And if we got to do five services, we'll do five services. I ain't scared. I'll preach all day. Y'all know I will. (laughs) How about this? If you invite so many people, we have to do five services, I'll preach less. (laughs) You see what I did there? All of a sudden, all the services just got booked. (laughs) I don't know if our team will show up, but Jesus will. (laughs) He is up to something. So let's see what Jesus is up to today. We ain't got to wait till Easter. He's up to something right now, today. Right now. You can feel it in the room. He's up to something. He's up to something. In your heart, in your life, in your story, right now, he's up to something. He's stirring some things up. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. These things called Beatitudes. They're just a series of simple but counterintuitive statements from Jesus. And today's beatitude is Matthew 5, 9. It's blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peacemakers. There's this great man. He's a beautiful, beautiful man. Lived a long life, a missionary and a doctor, like a literal doctor and a missionary. And then a president of a university. His name's Dr. Grubb. Some of you know him. Before first service, he sits back there. Before first service, David and I are walking and, you know, hey, Dr. Grubbs, hey, hey, who's preaching today? John, oh, John, what are you guys preaching? A peacemaker? David, without missing a beat. Grubbs, Dr. Grubbs, he goes, you? (laughs) I was like, that man, that's hurtful. (laughs) He can say that because he knew where I was going to go with this. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? What does it mean, really? Maybe, maybe ask some questions like, what if, you know, says that peacemakers will be blessed. Well, what if I haven't always been a peacemaker? What if there are people in my life that I don't really want to bring peace to? Just being real. What if there are people groups that I don't think deserve Peace, at least not for me. What if most of my life I have been a troublemaker and not a peacemaker? And if you can relate to that last one, I just want to let you know you are in good company. You are in good company. Anybody in the room ever hear of this guy, the Apostle Paul? You ever hear him? Some of you have heard about the Apostle Paul, right? The Apostle Paul was a troublemaker. Don't believe me, read a Bible. Listen, anywhere that Paul went, two things happened. Only two, right? It was either a riot or a revival. He was a troublemaker. Contrary to what some of you may believe, Jesus was a troublemaker. Mm Mm-hmm. Read the Bible. He was a troublemaker. From as early as he entered into the world, like as a child, he was a troublemaker. I'm going to reference Luke 2, all right? Jesus caused trouble for his parents. Little ones don't listen. 
all right? But Jesus was allowed to, you're not, all right? In the Gospel of Luke, we read this story that Jesus and his parents, they went to Jerusalem to a festival, right? Can you imagine Jesus, you know, cotton candy holding a balloon, right? Wasn't that kind of festival, right? So they travel this long way to, to Jerusalem and they go to this festival and then the parents leave to go home and Jesus stayed behind. Really, Luke 2, verse 46, all right? After three days, count them, think about it, parents, Three days, they finally found him in the temple courts with his funnel cake, right? Sitting among the teachers and listening to them and asking them questions. 12 years old, okay? Three days, parents. Three days of not knowing where your child is. Losing your mind, right? Add on top of that that this is Jesus, right? Can you imagine, like, Joseph? Like, he's already dealing with this whole, like, he's not really my son, but it's my son. I don't even know. Like, like, have y'all seen my son? What what do you mean? Which one? Like, you know, Jesus. What? We can't find Jesus. (laughs) Right? They lost the Messiah. Three days. There's something about that. We'll unpack that later, right? They lost him for three days, and then something else happened three days and then Jonah in the three days, we'll unpack that later. That's another sermon. Three days. This is like the Home Alone Gospel Edition. <laughs> the early years. But Jesus got older, but nothing changed. Right? Jesus caused trouble everywhere he went. He caused trouble for the Jews, the Gentiles, the Romans, the Pharisees, the Zealots, the high priest, dead people, demons, pigs. Jesus caused trouble. Nobody was safe from Jesus. And then in this crazy non-peacemaking statement, captured in the book of Matthew, Verse 34, Jesus even said this. He said, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Friends, Jesus came and he drew a line in the sand A line between families, friends, neighbors, enemies. He drew a line in the sand and he said, are you with me? Because Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost, to set the captives free, to bring freedom to the oppressed. Are you with me or are you against me? Jesus, his life and his teachings, they force us to make a decision about who he is, what he came to do, and what does that mean for our life? C.S. Lewis, I'm sure some of you have heard of him. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or the Lord. In Jesus' words, who do you say I am? Who who, who do you say Jesus is? Not just with your words, but in your actions. See, he, he, he forces us to examine our motives, to examine like our purpose, our identity, our calling. 
And, and as, as I look at the life of Jesus, especially in the early you know, part of his ministry, at least on earth, you know, when, when he's like saying these bold, crazy statements that were just causing all sorts of trouble for him and all around him and those close to him, and, and he's just saying like, like the, the, this, gotta say it, this is it. And he keeps saying this and people aren't liking it and there's people that don't really like Jesus and, and they want to kill Jesus and there's other people that are like, I don't know about this guy. And so they start going temple shopping and, and like they just like, like but those, those, some of y'all got that, those that stick around, those that stick around, Jesus kind of brings them in close, right? He says, all right, those of you that have stuck around, let's go change the world. And that's exactly what he did. And think about who he did it with. A bunch of misfits, untrained, unqualified, less thans. And they transformed the entire Roman Empire from the teachings of a carpenter from the wrong side of the tracks. And here in Matthew 5, 9, when Jesus is saying, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, Jesus is saying, are you a peacemaker? Because if you are, you are blessed. Why are you blessed? Because you're a part of my family now. You bear my name. You have my badge on your shoulder. You are mine. You are a royal priesthood, and you have a royal inheritance. You're my kids because you're part of the family business now. Are you a peacemaker? Are you stirring up trouble for Jesus? Are you stirring up good trouble? Right? Good trouble? See, see that tension that we talked about earlier that, that all of us have, if you choose to follow Jesus, like, like he, he's going to stir some things up inside of us and around us. He will cause trouble. There will be an unsettling, right? Having Jesus as Lord and leader isn't for the weak at heart. Yes, he will bring you comfort. Absolutely. In our time of need, Jesus will wrap you in that beautiful Snuggie. And he will keep you warm and he will keep, just restore you, but he will not leave you there. He does not leave you there. He does not tell you to stay in that place. He calls you to action, to go and make. Right? <laughs> he will cause trouble in the life that he calls us to. He will cause trouble for our family, our friends, our habits, and our hang-ups. Hey. He, so what are we going to do? Like, we're going to cause trouble. Let, we're humans. <laughs> we're going to cause trouble. So are, is it going to be good trouble or bad trouble? Good trouble is peacemaking. Bad trouble is troublemaking. It, it, it actually, if you actually break down the word peacemaker in its original Greek language, and you know I was studying this week if I go Greek. You know it, Lori. The word peacemaker in Greek is arenopoios. Arenopoios. You know I had to practice that like 30 times, right? Arenopoios. Peacemaker. It means those who make peace. 
make peace. It means those who strive towards a harmonious relationship. Hear that phrase. Those who strive towards a harmonious relationship, not just the absence of war or uneasy truce. I would argue this, that a peacemaker is someone who is actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another. The word literally make in the word peacemakers comes from the Greek verb that means to do, to make. It's a word of power, a word of action. It's bursting with energy. It mandates action and initiative. It, it, it paints this picture, right, of, of someone dragging two people who are at odds, right, and bringing them to the table to be a bridge of peace between the two. Notice that Jesus didn't say blessed are the peace wishers. The peace hopers. The peace dreamers. The peace lovers. The peace talkers. Peace must be made. Peace never happens by chance. A peacemaker is never passive. They are up and doing. And so when you put these two words together, peace and maker, it describes somebody who is actively pursuing peace. The peacemaker pursues more than just the absence of conflict. And they don't avoid conflict. In reality, peacemakers will actually create conflict or good trouble. Peacemakers aren't <laughs> They're not seeking to appease those who are in opposition, and they aren't trying to accommodate everyone. Peacemakers are not people pleasers. Instead, peacemakers are pursuing all of the beauty and the wonder and the blessedness of God upon all that are involved and reconciling them back to God and to each other. Peacemakers have a spirit of courage and a spirit of meekness. To be meek simply means power under control. Jesus' brother James he wrote this about peacemakers. And any of you with a brother, you know that if your brother is going to say something about you, he's not going to hold back any punches, right? And, and, and so Jesus' brother James in, in chapter 3, verse 18, he says this. He says, those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace, actively planting seeds of peace. And what will they reap? What will, a harvest of righteousness. They will be blessed. To be a peacemaker is to be blessed, but it is not easy. Oh, I can feel the groaning from you peacemakers out there. It is not easy. The path of the peacemaker is the path of resistance. 
1781, at the height of the American Revolutionary War, Ben Franklin wrote these words to John Adams. He said, blessed are the peacemakers is, I suppose, for another world. Because in this world, they are frequently cursed. And unfortunately, too often, this is true. Let's just be real. Let's, I ain't got time for anything else. 2021, when we hear the words of Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers, we're like, okay, Jesus, right? Have you looked outside your window lately, Jesus, right? The last 18 months, peacemaking, okay, sounds nice, right? Because you know that peacemaking isn't nice, Peacemaking is messy, and it's hard, and it takes time, and a lot of emotional energy. And it, here, here's the picture of peacemaking. It's like crossing a river on slippery rocks with salmon jumping all around you and a bear looking at you for lunch. It's peacemaking. And sometimes you will fail. Sometimes you will fall. Sometimes your spirit will get bruised. And sometimes you don't make it across the river. But to call ourselves a Christian, a Christ follower, is by virtue to call ourselves a peacemaker. It is foundational to our faith. It is a God-given, scripturally directed responsibility to pursue peace. Romans 14, 19, the Apostle Paul, he declares this, So then, let us, all of us, the church, pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Does that mean that we agree with everything that others say or do? No. <laughs> Sometimes we agree to disagree, agreeably. The Christian author Ken Sandy, he, he wrote a book uh, uh, called The Peacemaker about this topic. And he said there are three basic ways to handle conflict. Peacemaking, peace-breaking, and peace-faking. And some of us are naturally peace breakers. Let's just call ourselves out, all right? We like to stir the pot. I'm not going to name names. <laughs> I'll just stare at you. <laughs> you like to stir the pot. We love to cause controversy. We like to drop the mic. Others, others of us, we are peace fakers. We don't, don't want to acknowledge or admit that, th that there is any conflict. You know, we're like mad. I'm not mad. Oh, no, I'm, I'm good. A conflict? There's no conflict here. Oh, no, God is good. God is good. Praise him for, for oh, yeah, hallelujah. Oh, yeah, God. Come on, church. We, this is, we do this sometimes, right? We can kind of have a natural tendency to, to play nice, to keep the peace. We, we don't want to talk about the problem. 
We don't, we don't want to talk about that. that. That issue is too, we don't want to talk. That would be too messy, right? We, we just want to bury it under a rug so it can fester and boil and turn into resentment. And then we can carry around guilt because we're used to doing that. So some of you Catholics, you're like, I know that. I get that. But that's not what Jesus calls us to, right? Right? He doesn't call us to peace faking. He calls us to get elbow deep in it and make peace. To be bridge builders. Peacemakers, they're bridge builders. A bridge, by definition, is a structure that is carrying something over a depression or obstacle. As Christ followers, we have been called to be people that will reach out and cross a divide and carry people over that obstacle, whatever it may be, to bring about peace. And for David and I, our hope is that our Whitewater family will always, always be the first to reach across any divide, any divide, relational divides, economic divides, racial divides, gender divides. We are called to build bridges. Who are you being called to build a bridge of peace to? This isn't optional. This isn't an elective. Who? Maybe it's someone in your family. It doesn't have to be around the world or across the city. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's somebody in your neighborhood, someone at your work or your school. Maybe it's your spouse. Jesus has been uniquely preparing you for this task to be a peacemaker. So how do we do it? Peacemaking is made by sacrificing our pride. Meeting people where they are. Posturing our hearts our mind and our ears as students to be a listener and a learner all in the context of relationship through conversation not not comments that we leave oh i'm going i'm going to get them now i'm going to get them now Let's just be honest, right? To be a bridge builder, we have to first look at the condition of our own heart before we can ever build a bridge to someone else's. And all of us, every single one of us, we still have so much work to do here. We have so much unhealth in our hearts 
towards those different than us. Friends, this isn't a gender problem. This isn't a race problem. This isn't a skin problem. This is a sin problem. And the answer to this problem that every single one of us have will never, ever be changed by a law, but by love. Until we are broken and reborn by the love of Christ, we cannot extend the love of Christ. We can extend love, but not the love of Christ. There's so many bridges that are unfinished, just halfway built. They still need to be finished. There's bridges next door to our neighbors right here who are hurt and dying in their community that most people just forget about those communities and they tuck those communities away and they, they just hope they disappear and they die there. There's people in our neighborhood where a bridge needs to be built because they're trapped in the hell of addiction or oppression or abuse or neglect. There's bridges to the lost who are hurting and folks that are going to hell. A life of separation from God because no one is building a bridge into their hearts and their homes. That's the business that we're in. To build bridges of hope, of peace, to reconcile people back to God and to each other. I'm going to close with a story about a bridge builder who in the 1940s <laughs> was a young bridge builder by the name of John Lewis. And from as early as John could remember, he, he wanted to be a minister. <laughs> At the age of five, true story, he, he, he could be found preaching the gospel to anyone who would listen. Just most of the time, his congregation were the chickens in his family's farm. <laughs> he didn't care. <laughs> Best captive audience ever. Later in life, Lewis would go on to graduate from seminary and became an ordained minister. And then he graduated from Fisk University with a degree in religion and philosophy. And in 1987, John became a member of the U.S. House of Representatives from Georgia. John Lewis had a profound understanding of holding tight the reins of building bridges to reconcile people back to God and fighting for civil rights and reconciling people to each other. Oh, those reins are tight. In 1965, Lewis led the first of three civil rights marches from Selma to Montgomery across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. The first attempt to make this march happen was met with brutal force from state troopers and mounted police. For those that know your history, this day was called 
bloody Sunday. As the protesters walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, they were met with tear gas and nightsticks as mounted police charged the crowd, trampling over them as they went. Bloody Sunday was the first nationally televised attack on protesters, leaving the nation horrified. Two weeks later, Martin Luther King Jr. and 25,000 other men, women, students, and clergy of all races from all across the nation joined John Lewis to go on the 55-mile march from Selma to Montgomery. 55 miles. Last summer, in the wake of the death of George Floyd and the outrage that sparked across the nation, in the midst of a pandemic, my family had the chance to get away for a few days and David wondered if we were going to come back. And while we were away, we went to Selma and we went to the Pettus Bridge. And as a family, we walked across that bridge. And we prayed as our nation was tearing itself apart and people were dying. We just prayed and we wept and we held each other close. And I remember gathering my, my family around me and we just, we mourned. And we talked to Noah and Isabel about who we are as bridge builders. And we talked about the bridge builders that came before us, that walked in these very same. <laughs> and we talked about why. This bridge is now this iconic symbol of the struggle for civil rights in America, but its name is just as significant as the imposing structure. The bridge was named after Edmund Pettus, a former U.S. senator, a Confederate brigadier general, and a grand dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. And just prior to his death last year, John Lewis was asked about whether or not the Pettus Bridge should be renamed. And this was his response. He said, the Pettus Bridge symbolizes both who we once were and who we have become today. Renaming the bridge will never erase its history. Instead of hiding our history behind a new name, we must embrace it, the good and the bad. The historical context of the Pettus Bridge, it makes the events of 1965 even more profound. He said the irony, the irony is that a bridge named after a man who inflamed racial hatred is now known worldwide as a symbol of equality and justice and peace. 
He said, I find it quite biblical. He said, what was meant for evil is now meant for good. Who are you being asked to build a bridge to? Until the whole world hears, we've got bridges to build. Listen, even if there are things in your past or experiences or relationships that you think you could, could never be mended or made whole again, God will use all of it, all of it, all of it for good. There are some bridges that are not burnt. They just need rebuilt. So I just want to invite you today, 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 if not now, when? In your sphere of influence, where is a peacemaker desperately needed? Where does reconciliation need to happen? And will you answer that call? Friends, this world needs us. God, it needs us. We have the power of Christ in us. So much pain in our world right now. We're the answer. Us. Followers of Christ. The peacemakers. There's senseless violence and hate all around us. Another shooting spree and hate crime in Atlanta. The unrest in our communities, in our hearts. I'm asking all of us, all of us to step up to enlist in God's Peace Corps, to be men, women, and students that will build these bridges of peace, of reconciliation back to the Father and to each other. I know, just like so many of you, that I get to be on mission with we know this path of peace is hard, but it is the path of Christ. It is the path for all of those who choose to follow him. Do not let your hearts be troubled. In the words of John Lewis, he said, do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful 
Be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It is the struggle of a lifetime. Never, ever, ever be afraid to make some noise and cause good trouble, necessary trouble, good trouble. I think Jesus would understand. Let's pray. Father, I, I ask for forgiveness all the times that I have not been a peacemaker, where I have been a, a peace breaker. I come before you on behalf of everybody under the sound of my voice, and I just ask for forgiveness on where we have fallen short. Father, search our hearts right now. Restore our hearts. Let our hearts be reconciled with you. Be the great physician and heal us from the inside out so that we may bring hope and healing and peace to the world around us. It's in your name that all God's people say amen. We're going to step into a time of communion. When we stay in this place and this posture of just being open and remembering all that Christ has done for us. If you are in the room and you don't have your communion elements, just, just raise your hand. We'll get it to you. Just keep your hand up and, and someone will get you this. In the book of Ephesians Chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, he writes this. And in these three verses, 14, 15, and 16, he, he captures the cross, the sacrifice, and building a bridge. He says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jew and Gentile into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law and its commitments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one people from two groups together as one body. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. 